Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Varying Viewpoints podcast series sponsored by the Samuel DeWitt Proctor Institute for Leadership, Equity, and Justice. I'm your host today, Natalie Passov, and I have the pleasure of managing all the communications and coordinating research at the Proctor Institute. Um, And we are bringing together two of our lovely visiting scholars today um, to talk about this idea of the future of work. Um, and embracing what that looks like and talking about next steps, right? Um, So I will let you both introduce yourselves uh, before we dive into some questions. So uh, Joanna, I'll start with you. Hi, I'm excited to be here. I'm Dr. Joanna Jenkins and my work explores creative industry, education, corporate, and um, I love infusing coach approaches as well as perspectives and leadership needs for historically excluded um, groups, Um, focusing on creating inclusive environments, inclusive workplaces, inclusive um, lens for education and curriculum um, to reimagine what the possibilities are for ourselves within our lived experiences as well as our workplaces. So I'm excited to be here. I have quite an eclectic background, so I love being able to pull on my experiences from working in industry, working as a consultant, working as an administrator and an educator. So thank you for having me. Very nice. Thank you, Joanna. We're so happy to have you. Um, Natasha? Greetings, um, Natasha, sending you greetings from Boston, Massachusetts, and I am a certified career coach, primarily focused on students and young professionals, uh, those in high school, college, and graduate programs, and I serve full-time at Harvard Kennedy School in the Office of Career Advancement, and I have a private business called the Youth Career Coach Incorporated, so I'm really committed to this whole lane of coaching and ensuring students are what I call self-aware and market-ready. Amazing. Uh, So clearly we have two incredible experts um, who are going to talk a little bit about how to overcome hurdles, prepare for tomorrow, and achieve success in today's, you know, constantly changing work environment. Um, So to start us off here, uh, Joanna, I'm going to go to you. Um, And so you talked a little bit about you working at this intersection of what seems to be creative work, industry, and also academia, right? Um, So can you talk a little bit about how your experiences in all of these different areas and your eclectic background, as you said, um, how that's informed your perspective on career coaching? Yes. um, One of the, the major drivers has been career exposure. I think career exposure is so critical. You don't know what you don't know. And in many historically excluded communities, there is not widespread exposure to multiple careers, especially when we're talking about the future of work. Many of these things haven't even been imagined yet, or they're still kind of emerging in these beginning stages where they need to be nurtured and incubated. Um, And so I find that my background has really um, motivated me and inspired me to 
push for more career exposure, working as an associate dean, working as a program coordinator, working as an advisor, and coming across students who are changing their major or simply just didn't know or have a passion or a skill set that they like to refine or pursue. Um, and really kind of like approaching education from a lifelong journey, right? Because being a student doesn't always happen in college or high school. Sometimes it happens when you're at work. Sometimes it happens when you are pivoting in your profession. Um, if you're a professional student or even in the workplace, your education still continues. So I think career exposure is a huge driver. And I've learned that from being in industry and having to upskill, being at work and saying, hey, you know, some things are shifting with technology, some things are shifting with culture. And in order for me to be able to compete or to advance in my career, I need to upskill. Um, looking at industry, where industry is really trying to um, maintain a pace with, with other competitors and trying to reimagine um, services for very savvy consumers. And then also looking at academia, like how do we create curriculum and content that um, maintains this pace and also advances it? So with being in these spaces, career exposure is key. And I find that um, coaching is critical for that because of the way it really advances self-discovery, values, and alignment. And so when you're working in those spaces, certain um, things emerge to the forefront that allow you to problem solve in those specific areas and develop that critical thinking that allows you to um, push to the next level and continue to reimagine and um, create. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Joanna. Um, and so, Natasha, I'm wondering, um, you know, from your perspective um, as a career coach as well, you know, what inspired you to go down this path, uh, particularly for our youth? Um, and how did you kind of get started in this field? Sure. Thank you. So um, two things inspired me to move into coaching. Um, and that was, I was actually living in the state of Rhode Island at the time. And um, I served as Miss Black Rhode Island for the Miss Black USA scholarship pageant. My only one pageant I did because I wanted to win the trip to Africa. <laughs> So um, I signed up for this and I needed a platform. Uh, you know, every pageant contestant needs something that they're going to stand on, an issue that concerns them. Um, and I literally was like, I'm a youth career coach. It's what I do. And so I was working in retail at the time and what I did, which you cannot do now, but at that time, I felt really bad for people I could not hire. And when I could not hire someone, um, I would say, listen, you know, you're not a fit for this particular job at this particular time. But if you meet me at the local library on this day, um, I volunteer to help people think about what would be a good fit for them, help them prepare for their interviews. And so that's what honestly spun me into this coaching lane because 
I was meeting people in the library and the librarian came over to me one day and said, Natasha, what is going on? Why are these people coming in the library asking for you? And I told her what I was doing. And she said, you know, that is career development. And I'm like, career development, this is a thing. And she said, it is. Let me walk you over to the book section. And from there, I, I just felt like, this is it, career development. This is what I do. And so started reading, started educating myself, found a certification program to get some training. And so I've been coaching ever since. And so that moment of seeing a problem and wanting to help and then using that as a platform to speak on propelled me um, in this space and doors have been opening ever since to do this work in schools, public schools, private schools, charter schools, um, and different national programming, as well as um, some of my work has been not just higher education institutions, but I've gone into prisons to do this work to help students who are um, getting out of prison or um, kids who are aging out of foster care when they turn 21 to 25. And then they're supposed to just know what to do to get back out into the workforce. So I'm very fortunate to have covered the gamut from the smartest to the elite institution um, to the wealthiest students congressional students, presidential kids, to those in inner city communities um, who have never even left their their city. Um, And so uh, those are the things that have inspired me to do the work that I do. That's amazing, Natasha. Thank you. Um, And so we're about to talk about this idea of workplace equity. Uh, But before we do that, I'd like to kind of go rogue from these questions here Um, and and talk a little bit about um, equity when it comes to our students. Right. Um, So, Joanna, I know you're in you you have this academic background, but Natasha, it also sounds like you're working with students, um, you know, that are incarcerated, that are foster care, et cetera. Um, So I'd love to hear actually from both of you. And Joanna, we'll start with you um, on how you're kind of ensuring equity in your career coaching work, um, you know, when it comes to your students? Hmm, That's an excellent question. Excellent question. Um, One thing I will stress is the complexity. I think it's really important. I've been really embracing complexity in a variety of ways because I feel like in many instances, if we don't embrace the complexity, we don't have solutions that are robust enough to be inclusive for everyone to thrive. Mm -hmm. So in terms of looking at equity for students, I feel that there are a number of ways that we can address it. Um, And I think that it is important to look at the specific needs, values, and wants of the student as well as, you know, kind of aspects of the population and and the institution, whether we're talking about like corporate learning um, and we're talking about, you know, a workplace environment or if we're talking about students that are, you know, high school transitioning into college or transitioning into workplace development or if we're talking about grad students and, you know, advocating for what they can research. Um, So in terms of this, 
level of like dynamic interplay of so many important elements, I really start. That's why I think that coaching is is amazing because it centers the learner. So we're centering the learner and I'm asking them and they're asking themselves questions about self-awareness and self-discovery and empowerment. Um, And in equity, particularly with communities that have been historically excluded, I want their voice to emerge to the forefront and um, really communicate and create knowing and understanding surrounding um, being seen, valued, heard, and respected. And so I feel like that creates a level of like awakening within the student where they're like, this is what I want. This is what I want. And so when we're beginning with that, we're then bringing the tools that they need, whether they're skills, whether there's network, whether that's sponsorship into the forefront so that they can create that vision that becomes clear for them, that they're not imagining based on the confines of what society has dictated for them, but they're imagining their lives based on what they want and limitless possibilities. So when I think about equity, when I think about um, my students from literally like K to to forever, right? Forever. Um, I, I love to be a continuous learner. I think about putting them at the forefront and allowing them to imagine powerfully and using that as a driver for equity, because in in many instances, that becomes a catalyst for policy, that becomes a catalyst for research, that becomes a catalyst to close those gaps, because those gaps emerge. And I'm like, how do I get this student from here to here? What are the gaps that I need to close in order for them to be successful and in order to make sure that they're thriving? Exactly. Yeah. Thank you so much for that really eloquent response. I appreciate you going with me there. Um, I can hear the passion in your voice. So so that's that's really incredible. Thank you. Uh, Natasha, do you have any thoughts from your perspective? Sure. Yeah, that that really was powerful. <laughs> um, I would say on my end, um, as a coach, I'm very practical. And so even when you ask the question about equity, I probably think a little bit differently. Um, And so with that in mind, um, I tend to think in terms of social capital when it comes to equity. So at least how I think, whether that's right or wrong. And so I think the first thing for me is to really set the tone for my students on this process of career development, seeking internships, job searching, networking, relationship building is not necessarily fair or just. Um, and, and that's just, it is what it is. And as someone like me who grew up in inner city Roxbury of Boston, I've had to do things in a very interesting way. And so I teach a lot on social capital, what it is and how to leverage it, and then breaking it down to people, places, things, and your stories, your, your specific narrative. So how are you leveraging people? How are you leveraging places? How are you leveraging things? And how are you leveraging your story. And all of that can help you build the capital that you need to be successful. So for example, 
I remember working with a student and he's like, well, you know, my dad just fixes cars. And I'm like, okay, but you know, I don't want to do that. I'm, I'm going to college. This is what I want to do. And so I said, well, you need a summer internship. So we're going to have to think outside of the box. I want to challenge you to go ask your father who fixes cars, who some of his most frequent clients and customers are that come in to get their cars worked on and what do they do for a living um they have shop talk all the time and you know to cut this story short the student ends up finding out that you know some of his dad's clients work at some of the biggest organizations and companies uh throughout new england and then asks his dad, hey, dad, would you be open to making a recommendation or referral to me? Or could you tell one of your clients about me? I'm working really hard in school and I would really love a chance to interview to become an internship at their organization. So teaching them how to build the capital by using the people that are currently in their lives while also helping to change the perspective of how they even think think about their parents. They think, oh, they can't help me. Actually, they can. Um, I've had a parent ask their primary care physician question, how could I help my daughter get into this hospital as an intern? She dreams of being a nurse one day. And so from my own background, you know, growing up in, in the projects, as people would call where I lived, I used to get on the train and and take the train down to, uh, there's an area in Boston called Copley where all the rich people shop, the the Neiman Marcuses, Saks Fifth Avenues, Gucci. And I would literally stare in the window at people coming into Neiman Marcus, how they dressed, how they spoke, uh, how they introduced themselves. And I'll fast forward to, I got the guts and the courage to actually go in and and introduce myself. And Neiman Marcus was my first uh, internship when I was in school. And so I think equity for me, going back to that, in my own little world of coaching, I try to leverage and teach about the social capital, what's fair, what's not, and how students can use the people, places, things, and stories in order to uh, kind of change the trajectory uh, of what, what they kind of dream and hope for themselves. Absolutely. Thank you so much. I can, you know, I can hear the passion in your voice as well. Um, and, and I like this idea that you bring up of, of social capital. It, it also kind of ties in that, that cultural wealth model, the community cultural wealth model. Um, and just remembering that, you know, the, the cultures that we inhabit, um, they can take us places. You don't need to be, you know, your typical top of the line, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, your culture and your, who you are, um, is just as powerful. Um, so, so thank you for bringing that up. Um, so kind of continuing this talk of equity, um, I know, Joanna, you've done research with companies to explore workplace equity um, and how that ties into corporate social responsibility as well. Um, so I'm wondering on the flip side, you know, Natasha, you talked a little bit about Neiman Marcus there. I'm wondering how companies like that can leverage this idea of coaching to, you know, create a more inclusive and equitable work environments for their employees um, who are eventually going to be, you know, the students that we serve, right? Yeah. Um, Natalie, you're asking some awesome questions this morning. Um, 
In terms of workplace right now, what I'm seeing is the imperative need for inclusive leadership. If there's one thing that I can stress, there's something that I can emphasize right now is the need for inclusive leadership. Um, There are so many things that are going right within the workplace. There are so many things that are aligned. There are so many things that are on like, you know, just the tip of shifting and so much of the success of, of these things are predicated on leadership. We need leadership. We need leadership in which um, everyone can move forward. Um, you mentioned before about hierarchies and the ability to conceptualize society, culture, stories, narratives, all of these things outside of the confines of hierarchy, right? To really have leaders that are culturally competent, to really have leaders that are proficient in critical thinking and technologies and ways that support and uplift everyone as opposed to specific narratives that continue to perpetuate status quo. So I am really excited about seeing inclusive leaders emerge. And within that space, really um, leveraging coaching as a model for leaders to be successful. Um, Leaders that may not be as inclusive using um, coaching to to coach up and to understand and to develop more cultural competence, to develop more collaborative strategies, to develop, you know, new ways of thinking and innovation, and then also to implement very um, strong skills like listening, like the full spectrum of listening, whether it's like active listening or appreciative listening or reflective listening, but like, how are we listening to the people within the organization? Because as we mentioned before, there are you know, there are very challenging things that are happening in the workplace right now. I definitely do not want to um, diminish or lessen any of those things. There are very serious things happening. And then you also see some interesting things happening with ERGs and BRGs and and just people mobilizing and, and understanding and the workplace really becoming this transformational space um, for learning and um, and advancement. And so leadership is like a a critical area in that. And so I think if leaders are really listening to their people and really listening to um, kind of like the energy within that institution and what's going on with their corporate culture and organizational culture, we can really see some, some major transformation. And that's exciting. That is exciting. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to pick your brains in a little bit about where you see the future of work really heading, you know, in 10, 15, 20 years. Um, but before we do that, <laughs> um, kind of going back to this idea of coaching um, and thinking about, uh, you know, how students are making their career decisions. Um, Natasha, I'd love to hear, you know, I know you do research on that, that exact topic, um, this idea of decision making. Um, what, what are some common challenges that young people face and how do you help them overcome these obstacles? Ooh, that's um, a good question. I'm 
I'm actually going to, if I may go rogue for a second, because the last comment um, really just resonated with me really quick on the ERG groups that you mentioned, Donna, because I was thinking of um, a client that I have now that hired me to come in to do a four-part training series for the members of their ERG. So these are diverse individuals, multicultural individuals, however you'd like to deem them from every walk of life that are part of this group. And it's about 60 of them. And I am doing um, training on career journaling, negotiating, confidence, self-esteem, managing stress in the workplace for this specific demographic. And so um, I just had to say, yes, 100%, there is a need. And I love that this one inclusive leader in this organization saw that coaching would matter and could help their employees and have brought me in and created this program to walk them through. So just a note on that, but switching from my uh, employer hat to my student hat, <laughs> Um you know, I think some of the things, I think your question was around some of the areas that they're making decisions around. Um, I think there are some, what I call uh, tangible and intangible factors that influence their decisions. And that that piece is part of my research. So on the tangible side, which we can kind of, uh, both of these could be labeled career equity, but the tangible side we see, you know, if students are in integrated programming, if a, a special type of mentorship programming comes into the school, that is of great help to them. Uh, but they're also balancing decision-making uh, due to influences by their parents, their guardians, and their teachers. Um, that expectations that these families put on them. I know right now I have a student, in, in my uh, humble opinion, should be pursuing a career in art and art history, but is on the technology track due to their family pressure. And so there is that. And then there's the counselor's piece. I think we uh, when I did my research years ago, I think the stats were 500 students to one guidance counselor. And so students are trying to navigate these decisions with not adequate counseling support as well. Um, and so you have those tangible factors and then you have what I call the intangible factors, which they're weighing these decisions based on what I said earlier, social capital, but in particular, two things, mindset and their belief system. And those factors really impact students and how they make decisions. Do they feel confident? Do they know what they want to do? Do they think it's even possible to achieve what they want to achieve? Can they even admit what they actually would like to do? And so the beliefs and mindset, that's on the intangible side of the things that impact these students in their uh, career decision making. Absolutely. Um, and so you know, kind of continuing this, what advice would you have for, you know, parents um, that you know are expecting their students to go one way, um, yet their students or their their kids want to go another way? Um, like, how can how can parents, teachers, adults support young people in making really informed and you know fulfilling this idea of fulfillment um, career choices? 
I'm going to go back to uh, what my esteemed colleague said earlier about the listening piece. Um, I think there's a listening piece. I think there is managing expectations. And I think there is the need to do some research. And so I think on the listening piece from both sides, the parent, guardian, and educators, as well as the students, because they have knowledge, teachers, educators, parents, we've been down this road before. So I do think students should give a little bit of respect, you know, that they've been down this road, they may have some insight they really should consider. But then students also have their own ideas. And some students are making more money now than I've ever seen in my life. So, you know, they also have these entrepreneurial ventures that they've been starting. And so I think the listening on both sides is number one. Number two, I think managing expectations is crucial. I think sometimes respect to parents, guardians, and legal authorities, but they have these expectations that they didn't fulfill something. And so they're putting that pressure on their child. Well, I didn't do this. You're going to do this. Um, Or I'm not paying for this if you don't go about it this way. So I think really having parents, guardians to pause for a second and say, is this expectation on my child for them or is it for me? Let me just question that for for a minute. And then the third, I think, would be the research piece. I think the career education part of it is is missing, I think, on both sides. So I challenge students to do research on possible career options that they can pursue, but to do it in a way that aligns with their interests and their passion. I had one student who was just so committed to skateboarding like that. That's the only thing this kid could think about was skateboarding. And, you know, you got the parents, oh, well, you know, you need to do this. And I said, well, hold on, let's pause for a minute. Let's look at the skateboarding situation here. And asking the right questions, and I challenge the student to do research. I want you to come back to me with anything and everything you can find on skateboarding. I mean, who makes the skateboards? What technology they're using to make the skateboards? Who's designing the skateboards? Who paints the skateboards? Uh, Who sells the skateboards? Uh, The skateboards are then used for extreme sports. Who is the CEO of the extreme sport league that you follow every weekend? You want to go there and watch these skateboarders. And with with the right research and the right assignment, I was able to coach this student into an internship. And now this student has a very amazing, successful career on the business marketing side of extreme sports, all because we owned it down to the skateboard. So I think the three things would be the listening on both sides, the managing of expectations on both sides, and then let's challenge both parents and students to do some research on a on a on an interest that their child actually has. I think you make such a key point here, Natasha, with this idea that everything goes both ways, right? Um, I know, you know, in my own situation, I felt like I had to manage the expectations of my parents, um, you know, because I was first generation and I felt like I had to, I had this guilt, I had to kind of, you know, um, impress them. And, and, you know, I, I remember choosing my major in college, initially business, and because, you know, that was the way to go. And then, 
I enjoyed gender studies. And then I was like, how do I even ex- begin to explain what this is to my foreign parents? <laughs> um, so I think, I think you're absolutely right. I think everything goes both ways, this idea of managing expectations, feeling like it's okay to not people please. Um, and, and really the research, I think your, your case study there is a really great example of how um, just doing a little bit more digging and kind of remaining open-minded um, is, is the best thing that, you know, both students and parents can do. Um, and so Joanna, I'd really love to hear your thoughts um, on how you've kind of explored this idea of helping students find their strengths, passions, um, from your perspective as an educator and administrator. Um, yeah, I just want to emphasize that the previous response was so amazing. I don't have much to add. Um, one of the things that I would like to, to lift, um, is again, emphasizing values. Um, I think values are really critical in determining and sharpening your voice and self-awareness. And I think that that is a really critical for students, right? Like, as you mentioned, um, you know, where, where, where are these values coming from? You know, even like pulling in my background of like media, like so much influenced by society. What do you really want to do and whose voice is the strongest? You know, going back to that amazing case study of like screaming out loud, I'm really interested in skateboards and everybody else is like, no. So, you know, how can you coach yourself in that situation to say, um, now that I have the, the, the skills and the confidence, you know, that next stage, because after they acquire the internship and everything goes right or things might not, you know, go as expected. Now, you know, I, I might see the same person in a different stage in their career journey, whether now they're a manager or senior manager or now they're an inclusive leader, hopefully, you know, and they're bringing other folks along. So continuing to just look at your values, assess them, you know, and develop that self-awareness and that trust with yourself that you can, you know, do that gut check or do your research or, or read the room, like, so that you're making decisions and they're strong. And um, if things do not turn out the way you have imagined them, that you can rebuild and and continue to move forward. You can pivot, you can shift, you know, if you're being an entrepreneur or if you're an entrepreneur or if you're, you know, maybe starting something within the workplace, um, that you have those skills to reimagine and continue to move forward. And one of the things that um, I think we talked a lot about mentoring, which is amazing. Uh, also highlighting sponsorship, you know, and, and making that um, distinction between sponsorship and mentoring in the workplace and that people are using their power and their influence to make strong commitments for, um, for growth and um, continual development. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much, Joanna. I, I just want to say that I'm so happy that we got you both on this pod. Y'all are so amazing. I'm feeling so riled up. <laughs> um, so before we close out here, you know, I'd love to to pick your brains a little bit further and, and 
talk about kind of where you see the future of work going. Where do you see the future of coaching going in, you know, 10, 15, 20 years? Um, you know, what, what are your predictions? Uh, so Natasha, I'd love to start with you. That is a good question. Um, you know, that's tough for me to answer the predictions piece, but I can tell you based on my research, I've made some recommendations around, you know, assessment tools that we could use to introduce um, students and adults in the workplace to different career options. And maybe, I mean, I'd love to see more career development courses, actually. Like, you know, they, they actually have a career development course in most all of the business schools on a college campus, but we don't have career courses in any other part of the universities, not the arts, not the health <laughs> education. So I'm, I'm hoping and predicting that we're going to take career development really seriously and begin to do more assessments, offer more courses, um, whether it's in work or um, in institutions as well. And I think more coaches will spring up, but hopefully they'll also be trained and have a, what I called in my research, a multicultural lens of how they coach students from a multicultural perspective. And so that's what I'm predicting and that's what I'm hoping. And thank you again for having me. Thank you, Natasha. Joanna? Hmm. Yeah, same here. Uh, the predictions, I feel like, I don't know, any given Sunday, I'm an Eagles fan. And so it's like, it could go, our climate right now, some, some aspects of our climate right now are incredibly polarized. Um, and things could go anyway to a certain extent and so i in terms of predictions are moving forward i think it's my hope that we really start to practice a level of like optimism and expanding on positivity because i think that is going to give us the energy to continue to problem solve to continue to reimagine and continue to create what's next um we, I think, are moving at different paces out of the pandemic in different ways. And so really kind of like, you know, reflecting on these major shifts that we just experienced and what is going to be this new normal that emerges um, and really hopefully taking our time to co-create something that we can all be really proud of that future generations will be able to grow into and to um, to continue to grow on like a really strong foundation for the future. And so um, with that, I would continue to to kind of like look at a lot of trends surrounding people emphasizing like wellness and mental health um, and kind of like an approach to to wholeness, like wanting this harmony between work life, like we saw work life balance and now maybe shifting into work life um, harmonies and ways that we can use technology to support to support future models of like how society will evolve. So, so that's what I'm, that's what I'm hopeful. And that's what I'm interested in seeing um, a continued uptick on the, the optimism, the positivity, 
the mental health and just an overall wellness and um, creating more inclusive spaces. Um, because what we see about inclusive spaces is that we get really dynamic creative results when everyone can authentically feel empowered and bring their ideas to the table we're getting really awesome results and so loving to see more of that and using technology as a catalyst to to evolve that um those concepts and models forward Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah. Hopefully harmony all around, right? Not just in work life harmony, but all around. (laughs) Um, So thank you again to uh, Joanna and Natasha for your time, your wisdom, your voice. Thank you to our listeners for the support. Um, This has been another episode of the Varying Viewpoints podcast. So thank you and take care.